Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are our God. I thank you that you are in control and that you are everything. And I pray that we would be pure in heart because of your Son. That we'd always lean into him and not into our own understanding. Lord, as our kids, as they leave, I pray that they would learn more and more about you and they would understand the power of the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this service and I pray that your, Lord, your words would speak loudly and that mine would be soft. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The children can be dismissed for a time of junior church. And while they do, I want to remind you about the, the trip to Belize. Uh, we're trying to raise some funds for that, and apparently I'm going to dye my hair pink when we get to $10,000. So uh, uh, we're about $3,100 right now. And uh, also, if you guys haven't got your applications in, please get those in as soon as you can so we know exactly how many people are going to be going. So this week, I've spent all this time trying to figure out seven ways or a certain amount of ways that we can be pure in heart. But quite frankly, the only change that really happens is when God gets a hold of your heart and Jesus transforms it. So today I'm going to tell you a story about David, and my hope is that you will see Jesus in it. Matthew 5.8, we're in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. GodQuestions.org says, being pure in heart involves having a singleness of heart toward God. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. The pure heart is marked by transparencies and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. It's more than an external purity of behavior. It is an internal purity of the soul. It sounds great, but the problem is that this definition does not know my heart. Often my heart is not like that at all. My heart is often two-faced, deceitful. I often have hidden motives. Is my heart always pure? Are you transparent? Am I transparent? Do the people around you really know who you are? Do you compromise your desire for God with your own sinful desires? Are you external only or is there an internal purity in your soul? You see, we really cannot win. If you look at yourself as being pure, then you're not humble and I worry about you even more. We often look at purity as this behavior and not the very nature of our soul. More exactly, the very nature of who has transformed our soul. You see, if behavior was all that mattered, then why would God say that David is a man after his own heart? I mean, this is the same man who wanted to destroy Nabal because he was ungrateful. The same guy who raped Bathsheba, murdered Uriah, and was an absent father and was not even allowed to build a temple because he had taken the life of so many. But even in all of this, the Bible tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. So let me set the scene for you. King Saul is messed up. He's just went against God's commandments. He's offered up an unauthorized sacrifice which seems so small compared to what David's sins are going to be. And Samuel, he walks in and he hits Saul with this good old-fashioned knuckle sandwich. 1 Samuel 13, 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. 
The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. We read this and we often look at these behaviors. If Saul would have done just exactly what the Lord had told him, everything would have been all right. That's fair, but think about it. Does David always do what the Lord commanded? No, not at all. It's the condition of a heart. Whose heart is it? Is it Jesus' heart or is it your own heart? So Saul, his kingdom is not going to continue. And we see these words in 1 Samuel 15.11 that are kind of troubling. God says that he regretted making Saul king. And we, we tend to look at this and this doesn't make sense. But we should never look at this as a, king, as a God that doesn't change. That, or a God that, that changes. A God that makes mistakes. So what's it talking about? You see, if God had to do it over again, He still would have made King Saul king. But that doesn't mean that He does not have sadness for how Saul acted, even though He knew that this was going to happen and He had purpose in it. And God, He goes on to make it clear in verse 29 that that He is not a God of regrets. He's not like us. The text is very clear that God does not change His mind, but He is clearly saddened by sin. God, He understood the role of Saul and how it would play out in David's life. God, He understood how this friendship with Jonathan would develop David. It was always about David. And if we really want to go there, it's always about Jesus. But today we're going to learn about David. You see, the truth of the matter is that David had no business being king. It would take a miracle. He was not rich. He was an ordinary young boy. But he had an amazing devotion to an all-powerful God. And Samuel, he's tasked with finding a new king. And he's faithful to go wherever God asked him, even if it means him being killed. Saul was this, this king. And he was king to bring about David. But our God, he's still sad. He's sad when anybody doesn't trust and lean into him. So Samuel, he gets a message from God to go to the house of Jesse to find the next king of Israel. And we must understand that this is not the first place that we go and look for a king. 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees... Man looks on an outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel, he looks at seven of Jesse's sons as they pass by, and God says no to each. And he's like, this cannot be. I know I was hearing God right. And he says, is there another one? And they're like, oh yeah, there's this this, this David guy. David wasn't even asked to come. He was the, the youngest of them. He's over there taking care of the sheep. He's doing the job of the least of us. It's like cleaning up the dog waste at my house. The youngest gets the hose. It gets passed down over the allotted time. You see, David, he's the youngest, uh, the youngest child of an ordinary man. But we shouldn't be surprised because God continually throughout his book uses ordinary people to make his name great. He declares his greatness often. Verse 12 and 13. And he sent and brought him in. 
Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel, he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. From this moment, David understands that he's to be king. His father understands. His brothers understand that he is going to be king. And why is this important? Because it did not change David. He's the same person that he was before. And I get it. It changes his life circumstances. But David, David remains devoted to his family and to his God. Purity is something that is in him regardless of his circumstances. Because purity is Jesus and not us. We see things on a timeline, but God sees everything in the now. You are always his. You see, when I was growing up, I did a lot of wrong things. I was not the most obedient. I often cursed like a sailor. I treated people terribly. But there was always something in my heart. I truly cared about those that were picked on, those that were less fortunate. I remember this one time when I was in fifth grade. There was this young man named Channing Henson. And I was in Mrs. McKee's class, and I saw Channing Henson getting picked on by Tommy Mills. And if you don't know who this is, this is like a, a skinny Danny DeVito being picked on by a plump Arnold Schwarzenegger. Channing was maybe 50 pounds soaking wet, and, and Tommy was probably pushing 180 pounds. Me, I was probably 80, somewhere in there. And I walked in, and I saw him picking on Channing Henson, and something came over me, and I went after him, and I jumped on his back, and I held on to his throat for everything I was worth until the teacher came in. I went to the principal's office, and that was one of the moments when I went to the principal's office that my parents weren't very mad at me. They were actually proud of me for standing up for somebody. See, I've always had a heart for those that are disabled and different. It was often the so-called able and the beautiful that I struggled with. And just like us, David, he makes mistakes. But he cares about God and he cares about others. I mean, I could give you a list of what a pure heart looks like, but it's not so much what it looks like, it's what it is. Who is in your heart? And as a pastor, when a pastor is truly speaking with the Holy Spirit behind him, it's all about Jesus. Verse 13. Then Samuel, he took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The Spirit of the Lord rushed into David. And it is so evident in his life. The very moment that it goes into David, it leaves Saul and Saul struggles. Saul's heart was never in tune with the Spirit in the first place. But what happens next is nothing short of a miracle. You see, all this time that David spends with the sheep, he spends his time learning how to play the lyre. And that Spirit that comes upon Saul just has an inkling for this type of music to tame it. Coincidence? I think not. Verse 18, one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So there you go, the Lord orchestrated it. Enters our brother David into the kingdom. 
And he knows, he's got it in the back of his head, he knows that he's up next. But he's willing to wait on God's timing. He cares about Saul, and yes, Saul cares about him, but there's a big difference. Saul continually takes matters into his own hands, and David, he leans into the Lord. Right now, David is the king's armor bearer. And he's still willing to watch the sheep for his father. He's willing to do what his father asks. David is the Lord's anointed, and yet he serves his brother by taking them food to the battle between this pretty big dude named Goliath and the rest of his thugs, the Philistines. Goliath's giant stature, it strikes fear in the Israelites. 1 Samuel 17, 8-11. Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The Israelites' God... Our God is the creator of everything, and yet they are afraid of a man. Now, a really big man, but still a man. Does that sound familiar in our life? But not David. Not David. You see this innocence, this this purity, this trust and faith in the one true God. Verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is not afraid. I mean, maybe he's a little naive. Maybe he's young. Maybe, just maybe, his heart is devoted to oneness with God. He trusts that no matter, no matter the battle, no matter the circumstances, God will take care of him and God will be with him. See, God's not with you when everything is going good and against you when everything is going bad. He is with you in every moment. Just most of us have not learned to see Him in all walks of life like David does. And everybody around him is shocked that a young boy would take on a seasoned warrior like Goliath and word gets back to Saul. And yet Saul has no faith. He does not think that David has a chance But it doesn't even cross David's mind that he may lose to Goliath because he has always trusted in the Lord. He's been training for this moment. He has the Holy Spirit working inside of him. David has taken down lions and bears and he acts like this is just a normal thing. Where else do we hear about a man taking down a lion in Scripture with his bare hands? Samson, yep. Did you know that extra-biblical text called the Talmud, declares that Samson was a normal man. He had normal stature. Of course he did. God does not need somebody like the rock to take care of all this stuff. God can use anybody with His power, and He can kill the thousands. He can take down a lion with His bare hands. He does not need us. He is God. You see, men do not kill lions with their bare hands. God does. God is the one that does all the work. Look out. Who does not fear a bear and a lion? I mean, who grabs a lion by the beard and kills him? Not David. God did. And we do not have a pure heart 
Jesus does. Jesus does. And therefore, we can be seen with a pure heart by God. 1 Samuel 17, 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Saul right here is like saying, Godspeed. Better than you than me. But if you look at this, shouldn't the king be the one that takes on Goliath? I mean, Saul's the one that's the closest to this man's size. He's the one that's head and, and, head and shoulders above all the rest of the Israelites. The Bible even tells us that Saul is one of the only ones that has an actual sword. Shouldn't he be the one that takes on Goliath? I don't know. He doesn't think so. He even thinks that David needs armor and David's like, nah. I don't need any of these. I got stones and a homemade sling that I use when I'm shepherding the sheep. Right here, David's heart is purely trusting in the provision of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is absolutely working in him right now. And he goes to a creek and he picks up five stones. Do you know why he picked up five stones? Yeah, neither do I. It's really not important. I just wanted to see some of you get all excited. But the truth of the matter, if you were fighting a giant, you would have picked up a heck of a lot more than five stones. And we often think of these stones as being small, but they would have been the size of a baseball. And I tell you, if I can go to battle and I don't get to choose a gun, I'm taking baseballs. That's my weapon of choice. <laughs> David, he walks out. He walks out and Goliath curses David. He curses David and his God. And I love what David says. This is maybe my favorite part of all of Scripture. 1 Samuel 17, 44 through 47. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the fields. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Man, this is like William Wallace mixed with C.S. Lewis. A warrior, a warrior mixed with a poet is David. And I love it. David does not sit back. He runs toward him. He takes out the stone. He puts it in his sling. He hurls it. And he hits the, the Goliath right in the forehead. And he takes him down like a charging bull. And then he gives God glory. Because it's not about David. It's about God's provisions. And then he keeps his word. And he takes Goliath's sword. And he cuts off his head. Our Bible is not PG. And from that moment, David becomes a bigger part of the king's circle. And he builds this friendship with Jonathan that should be a symbol of our own relationship with Jesus. It's a symbol of what a pure heart actually is. 1 Samuel 18.1 As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. There is no way to have a pure heart without it being knit together with Jesus. Jonathan, he displays a humility. He's the rightful heir of the kingdom. But he knew that God had other plans. 
Verse 3 and 4. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David in his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Do we strip ourselves and give everything over to God? Is Jesus over everything in your heart? Are we like Jonathan or are we like Saul? You see, Saul, he becomes so jealous that he tries to kill David and David did nothing wrong. Saul is the opposite of pure of heart. He gives his older daughter, then he takes her away from David. He gives his younger daughter, and then he takes her away from David. He loved David, and then he loves him not. He sends David on a mission that he hopes will kill him. And then he says this in 1 Samuel 19.6, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Saul is back and forth. And finally, David has no choice but to leave. And Jonathan, he displays a pure heart as he, as he helps him. Because I know my wife, and she had some, some father and some tough times growing up. But that's not an excuse to not have a pure heart. Jonathan has a pure heart, even with a crazy Saul. And from that day forward, David, he takes his mighty men and he runs and he waits on God. He will not kill God's anointed. We see the story in 1 Samuel 24, 3 and 5. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost part of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as you seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. How many of us would have killed the person who was trying to hunt us down when we had a chance? And yet David is sad that he cut off a part of his robe. Is that your heart? You see, in all this, David, he seems so perfect, but he has issues just like you and I. And thank God. We get to see our own selves in the life of David. And Jesus' heart, his, his heart is sufficient, even in our insufficiencies. David, he's not perfect. We see in the wilderness of Paran. He's watching over a man named Nabal's shape, protecting them day and night. And for payment, he just wanted a piece of this festival that he was going to have for his shearers. And then Nabal says, says this, 1 Samuel 25, 10-12. Who's David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turn away and come back and told him all of this. And David's like, oh, no, you didn't. Right? He's like, it is wartime. Instead of having a little bit of food, he's going to have all the food. He won't just have lamb chops, but he will have all 3,000 lambs and he will have some of the goats on the side. Every one of you have gone through this. Something happens and the first thing we think about is this vengeance. But a pure heart is able to be reasoned with. I mean, even in David's vengeance, he is able to listen to what Abigail says as she intercedes. There have been moments when I've done some things that I regret. Many moments, actually. 
like when I disciplined my children out of anger. But a pure heart is one that apologizes and relents when they realize their error. Abigail, right here, she pleads with David, and David listens. A pure heart listens, and he says this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. As we read about David, there are so many stories. The story of Bathsheba, for example. And he compounds this sin of having an affair by taking the life of her husband. He murders Uriah. Awful sins. But even in all of this, he has a forgiving heart and he is repentant to God. Nathan, he shows up and he tells this story about a poor man's sheep being taken by a rich man. And you see David, he feels for this poor man, this injustice. He has a disdain for it. And then you see this repentance as he finds out that this man is him. And then you see this sorrow for his son. His son who dies because of his sin. And at the same time you see his faith and and you see his trust in God as he leans into him. As he understands that he will see his son someday. And then we often forget that Solomon would not have been born if all of this would not have happened. You see, this is an example of God working out all things for good for those that are pure in heart. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. You see, I heard it said the other day that a good God would not allow suffering in this world. The answer is very simple. How good would a God be if He did not allow us to suffer now so that we would not have to suffer for eternity? You see, a father must not hold back discipline because it affects the rest of your children's lives. David even failed at that, which gives me great hope in my own life. David, he struggles with his children. He neglects them. Two of his sons try to take his kingdom. One of his sons kills another one. But David, in all this, he refuses to kill them. He even has to flee Jerusalem. But you see David's heart throughout this whole story as he loves his children and he loves his God. See, everything in David's life that went wrong. I mean, he even tries to build a temple after he builds his own house. He doesn't put God first, but yet you see his heart after he realizes it. Thank God our God does not ask us to be perfect. He just asks us to love and be faithful to Jesus. 2 Samuel 1.3 And now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. When Jesus is with you, Your heart is pure. And when your heart is pure and you're listening to Jesus, you can follow your heart because it's Jesus. Everything that David did was to set the stage for Jesus. Jesus is to come later. And David knew none of this. He knew none of this. But God is orchestrating everything like He's doing in your lives right now. 2 Samuel 7, 12-13 When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. 
You shall come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. You shall build a house for My name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. It goes on a little bit later to talk about this discipline that Jesus receives, these rod and stripes from men for the sins of man. But Jesus will reign forever. And Jesus is the only one with a pure heart. And our desire and faithfulness to Him allows us to be seen by God with a pure heart. But I love that it doesn't just stop there. We are truly blessed in that we also see God. We get to see Him in every aspect of our lives if we would just pay attention. Matthew 5.8 Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This last part, for they shall see God. That is the promise. You see, Saul did not see God. Saul did not feel God. He did not wait on God. He did not lean into God. He did not trust God. He did not listen to God. He did not ask for forgiveness. And he did not know God. But David, he saw God. David, he felt God. David waited on God. David leaned into God. David trusted God. David listened to God. And David pleaded for forgiveness. And David knew God. Listen to these words as I finish. They are more powerful than mine as David penned them in Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let might not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. That they shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to the steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs the sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His ways. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your namesake, O Lord. Pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him He will instruct in the way that He should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with with violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprighteousness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Redeem me, O God. Redeem us, O God. Give us a pure heart. O Father, let us lean into Jesus. 
Let us be knitted together, our soul with the very soul of Jesus. Let us understand who He is and let us be pure in heart because of Jesus. Let us be seen by You that way. Lord, I pray over and over to just give us Jesus. Let us have a relationship with Jesus. Let us not lean into this religious ways, but to have this pure relationship with your Son. I pray that it not be about the don'ts, but it be about the do's. Be about Jesus. Be about His ways and not our own. And let us lean into Him as we go through this life and as we share about who is in our heart and who has transformed it. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.